Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never, ever about food. Or weight. Never, ever. Not even. One time. Not ever. Ever, ever. Hello, everyone. This is Laura Lee Rourke from It's Not About Food podcast. And today we are talking about the Body Love Card Truth and the goddess and her deer sitting on the very top of a mountain overlooking everything. And what this image brings to me is how really the truth is sort of seeing everything for what it is and having that higher mind and higher observation of things as they are. And so the back of the card reads, truth is our own internal wisdom that defines who we are. Finding our own truth means figuring out the difference between what we've been told we should be versus who we really are. Oftentimes in the past, our true feelings, passions, opinions, and experiences were ignored, rejected, or just not encouraged. When we can relearn to identify what our own truth is, we are able to put into action what our heart and soul desires. And for me, my recovery from a disordered eating, disordered image of myself, disordered idea of the world, I think, was given to me as a small child, as a little present from my culture. (laughs) I can remember being in a dress store with my mother and her giving me her purse and here, hold this. And I feel like that's a apropos of how she said about everything. Here, hold this, hold this truth that I'm giving you as being the truth. And of course it wasn't because sitting in that little chair outside the dressing room, I could hear my mother go, oh my God, I can't believe how fat I am. Oh my God, this looks terrible on me. Oh, this is horrible. Oh, this is terrible. I am fat as a pig. I would hear this commentary going on to the woman who was my best ideal of a woman, you know, I didn't know anything else. And I thought, man, if she doesn't like herself as pretty as she is, I am up creek. So I think that having to like say that that was her truth and maybe wasn't even her truth, that was her culture's truth given to her, but it didn't have to be mine, that I didn't have to hold that anymore. I didn't have to do that anymore. That was a huge awakening, really awakening. I think to put into action what our heart and soul desires is, I didn't know that that was going to be part of my recovery. I just thought I would be able to stop hating my body so much, stop overeating, stop undereating, stop being so obsessed about my weight and what I look like. And I had no idea that I would be able to get there. But I was able to see myself for who I was and be okay with that. And it took a long time. So I am so glad we have this precious person in the world on again. And I'm going to let them talk about themselves and what they're doing. And I really 
do appreciate this lovely person being on the show. So I'm going to turn this over to M. Thanks for having me. This is so exciting. And as always, the universe goes, you know what? We're going to give you certain things to go through right before you have to talk about things like truth, just so that your truth can be seen and heard. Honestly, probably in the most necessary way for all of us. I am now post the medical portion of my transition, post the social part of my transition and post the career part of my transition. And I found that the more I embraced the truth of who I was, the more I saw what other people's truths were. And I did not like other people's truth. (laughs) Other people's truth. Suck. Exactly. Was (laughs) steeped in kind of this cultural idea of what can I take from you? How can I make money off of this? How can I value you just enough to get what I need now that there's marketing I can do around your identity. And that didn't work for me. So I jumped into working for myself and working part-time for treatment facility here on the East Coast called Walden Behavioral Healthcare. And my boss there, Becca, is wonderful. We worked with each other on the IADEP board for a small period of time. And I approached her and said, you know what? I like want to be the VP of queer services. I want there to be somebody in treatment centers that can teach people how to treat specifically queer clients, whether it's sexuality or gender, how to walk through what it's like to have a really lonely identity in a world that's going to weaponize that against you. And unfortunately, my experience in our field is that often I'm discredited based on my identity. It is no longer what I don't know. It is no longer that I'm fat. It is now that I'm trans. Oh my God. I went from being discredited because I'm fat to being discredited because I'm trans. And I'm like, okay, but you're all talking about the same thing I am. So I guess it's just my voice, right? My truth and the way that I share that doesn't work. Walden felt differently. They felt like my truth was not only beautiful, but necessary. And we're going to be starting the nation's first queer only IOP. Oh, I love it. I love it. And why are we just now doing this? right now. (laughs) Like it's 2021. This is now the statistics all of a sudden make sense. But (laughs) I think about how like eating disorder facilities really didn't exist till the seventies or eighties. So like really this wasn't even a mental illness or a physical illness anyone cared about until 40, 50 years ago. It's only been 50 years of doing this work. How much do we really understand? And what I have learned through this whole process is If I just keep repeating my truth enough, the people whose truth aligns with mine will show up. Wow. Yes. Well, that is exactly right. Carol and I started Beyond Hunger in 1988, and it was very, pardon the pun, slim. (laughs) Slim to none. People who've got their heads wrapped around, you're an eating disorder thing and but you don't have a diet you don't know we don't have a diet no we think diets are the problem well what about good good healthy eating yeah we think that the body knows how to do that so we're not going to talk about that which like now everyone wants to hear somebody say that but then that was not a no intuitive eating wasn't even a thing nobody even said that Nobody even said, well, I, that's not true because Overcoming Overeating by Jane Herschelman and Carol Munter, that had come out already. And of course, Janine Roth had come out with her few books at that time. 
but that was it. And then fat is a feminist issue from Susie Orbach had come out. And these were the pioneers, you know, who went before us. And uh, we knew that was the way to go, but it was very, we had to really defend it. I'm sure like what you're doing, we had to defend our right to say what was our truth. And we knew if we felt like this, there's got to be other people who do as well. And there were, right? And, and there were. And I feel like in supervision, I, I love it. My supervisor always reminds me that people are still awakening to their truth and to the truth of the universe. And I feel like our work is so part of that because if our culture isn't awake, but we present the truth, how can it embrace it if it's sleeping through it? No, it can't. And we certainly do live in a culture where a lot of people are asleep right now or just in a coma. <laughs> I don't know what. And I get it. The truth can be really scary. And I've noticed for a lot of people really upsetting, it is really hard to hear when someone says something about, oh, what did someone say to me the other day? They were commenting on a trans woman of color's freakish lifestyle by being a trans woman of color, just by existing. Just by being there. Yep. And in that person's truth, we are all wrong for existing. And At that point, I'm like, there's no way that can be your truth. There's no way that is a truth. There is no truth on this planet that any of us doesn't deserve to exist. So then people also bastardize the idea of truth to fit their personal agenda rather than to wake up to the reality of what it is to be a human being in a body. Yeah. We're so, we don't want to admit, but we as humans, we're so judgmental. And we're so afraid of the other. And we're so really idiotic (laughs) about what other people think and feel. And we don't want to hear it because it might interfere with what I want to think and feel. Yeah. And just that whole idea that you shouldn't exist because your existence makes me feel uncomfortable. We're all like sociopaths, you know, or something we can't (laughs) The idea that because my existence makes you uncomfortable magically, it shouldn't happen. Like that's so inherently selfish and narcissistic. It's so narcissistic, which again, I think Americans, we're very narcissistic. We're like, we're the best ever, (laughs) you know, and then you scratch the surface. Oh, maybe not the best ever. I just was in Europe and I went to Auschwitz to go to the concentration camps. And not only did they, of course, kill all these Jews and just murder them in cold blood, but also anybody that was quote unquote different. And she kept saying there were people they killed just because they were undeserving of life to them. And I thought that's like everyone. If really, if if somebody is that narcissistic, it really is everyone but yourself is undeserving of life because everybody's going to push your buttons at some point. And I just thought, oh my God, how did they get there? And then how did they get out of it? I don't know. The whole thing was very difficult and I'm so glad I went. But that's to show you what happens when people start to hate other people so much that they don't think they should exist, like what you're talking about. Agreed. And I mean, I always think of, so in World War II, there was an archive of the history of gender and sex in, I believe, Berlin, that Hitler specifically had burnt down. So the entire history of trans and gender nonconforming people and the queer community 
would be completely destroyed. And some of it was saved as an online archive, but a lot of it doesn't exist. And so a lot of people specifically in the eating disorder treatment world will be like, I don't know how to do this work. We've never had this before. No one's ever existed before. And I'm like, no, we did. Our history was just erased along with the attempted pursuit of erasing the entire history of Jewish people and disabled people. So it's not that what Jewish people didn't exist before World War II just because you burnt a bunch <laughs> of our culture? No, no. I mean, look at history. It's, yeah. it's the same for any other marginalized group. It's just, unfortunately, Hitler was smart. He knew if you erased people's art, including their written history, you could erase people. And we are still, as the queer community, coming back from having so much of our history erased. Wow. And the whole idea of, yes, if you erase their art and their history and their, I don't know, their ways of living, you know, that they practice a certain, they don't, everybody doesn't do Christmas. They do a different kind of holiday. If we take that away, then that'll be, it's sort of like when Christianity came in and just, oh, just took the pagan stuff. Okay, we're going to take this, we're going to leave that, but we're going to take this and then we're going to make paganism insanely wrong. And we're going to kill anybody that's a pagan. But we are going to keep these other pagan holidays that people kind of like the solstice, whatever. Right. But we'll you know, call- there's a Christmas tree and presents, people seem to be. That's the most pagan thing that any of us can do. I know. Bring a piece of wood and greenery into the home to celebrate the longest night of the year that we're scared of the dark. But light will come back and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, <laughs> it just is crazy. How are you working? Say, I know that you are working hard in the outside world on the truth. How are you working inside with your truth, with your internal wisdom of defining who you are? You know what? I'll be honest. That is so much harder than going to a treatment facility and being like, right? So, I mean, it's definitely been a journey. And funnily enough, leading up to this, the last two or three weeks have been particularly difficult. Last week, I put on a dress for the first time since having surgery, balled my eyes out in the car while my partner was running inside to get coffee, just like uncontrollably sobbing was like, I hate my body. I hate everything. Why was I born into this body? Just like total meltdown on a Tuesday morning for no other reason than I had like realized I put on this dress and I felt like I was pretending. I felt like I was little me being told that good girls do certain things. Good girls are supposed to be in small bodies. Good girls are supposed to wear dresses. Good girls are supposed to present a certain way because that's the only way that people will like you, love you, or listen to you. And it all flooded in that moment. And I realized that I was holding on to certain pieces of clothing that no longer fit my truth, but that made performing for other people so that my truth didn't upset them. And I am super lucky that I have a partner who's also an art therapist who was able to talk me through what is this about and was really great. We went into the closet and we took out every single dress and we went over every piece. And there is this local thrift shop in Connecticut. They're also online. They're called Witch Bitch Thrift. And they're run by these two fat queer women who just wanted a place where everyone could find really cool stuff that fit them, that was affordable and that talking about like sustainable plus size fashion. And I went there with my suitcase full of stuff and they entertained me showing them every piece and complimenting every piece and making sure I was comfortable leaving my stuff with them. And I was able to leave 
this almost like this lie that I thought I had to keep living with them. I no longer had to carry that. And what is so interesting is I didn't just leave there feeling like, great, I don't have to wear dresses anymore. I left feeling like, cool, my body doesn't have to conform anymore. That little bit of urge that I still had through this to want to restrict or over-exercise or any of my other behaviors, magically, it was just like, no, my truth is I don't need to do any of these things anymore. I'm allowed to be me. And if me doesn't suit other people, then I'm just not for them. Yeah. So when you were saying little girls do this and little girls do that, and I thought the other thing is little girls have to be girls and they have to like boys. And if they don't, it's not good. It's not going to be good for them. Agreed. I always think of, um, I don't know if you ever saw, but I'm a cheerleader. One of my favorites I saw in high school and it was like everything clicked, but I can remember her in that movie sitting there and being like, but I'm a cheerleader. Cheerleaders don't like girls. I'm a cheerleader. We wear dresses. (laughs) I remember thinking, why do I think that way? I was never a cheerleader, nor was I ever the kid that wanted to be one. But there is that narrative that I think so, like all of us, right, are conditioned to your gender equals your body looks a certain way and you do certain things and you like certain things. And if you don't do those things, well, you're broken. Yes. Well, I remember when my granddaughter was little, she looked like a tiny fairy. She was really so what we would call girly, right? She had blonde curly hair and little slight body. And she was just big blue eyes and just looked like the quintessential little girl. And she would get comment after comment after comment on her body, on her looks, on her eyes, on her hair. Nobody said, oh, you're smart. Oh, aren't you funny? Oh, oh, you can ride a skateboard? That's really cool. Nobody really, I would say those things, but strangers would always comment on her body. And then when I had a grandson, same kind of thing, but to the male of, oh, you're going to be big and strong. And do you like this truck? And there was just so much gender pressure on both of these small, tiny children. And I always can remember like, and granted, my mom had an original and I have it here, like a copy of Our Bodies Ourselves. She was pretty feminist. And so, you know, people would comment my appearance and and she would always come back with, Em is also really smart. These are the books that they like. Or Em is also talented. Here's their art. And so I was super lucky that there was one person in my corner my whole life that tried to balance out everybody else's insanity. But I can remember being little and like getting ready to like go to, okay, my whole family's going to hate me for this, but (laughs) going to a family holiday and her kind of being like when everyone comments about what's on your plate or how the clothes you're wearing are appropriate for your age or whatever, you just do your best to get through it. They love you. They don't mean it. They just weren't raised to know any better. Sometimes people we love hurt us. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm... It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Storygram Network. Yeah, and we're always giving them the benefit of the doubt, no matter what, how much that hurts us. We have to be the bigger people. And I can remember somebody 
one of my first sponsors in AA said, now you have to be the bigger person because you have more consciousness. And I went, well, I think that kind of sucks, actually. <laughs> you know, because, agree. you know, I got here. Why don't everybody else get here? Whatever. You know what I'm saying? No, but it's true. And I think now as an adult, looking back on it, I'm like, thanks, mom, for the 90s. You did the best you could. And if I could do it all over again, gosh, I would want a chance to almost read something to every family member that ever commented on my food or my body to just be like, every time you did that, you actually pushed me further into the closet. Because if my body wasn't good enough before you knew how my body identified, how was my body ever going to be good enough once I told you that my identity wasn't even something you would understand? And then it always comes back to, of course, I had an eating disorder. It saved me for a really long time. It even made my body present acceptably so people would leave me alone. The other part of my suffering I could almost handle as long as part of it was... There was something okay. But I feel like the more I've worked in this field, and I'm sure for you as well, right? The more that we're in this field, the more that we're around this, the more that I realize that's how it won. Yeah, of course. And it doesn't get to win anymore. And if I let mine win and I don't live my truth, then I'm going to watch all of my clients do the same thing. And I cannot watch someone else go through what I want. I refuse. So true. So true. And you said something a minute ago, I kind of caught, like your mom said, M, they, did your mom actually say they? Sometimes she would. So great. It was so interesting. I was never, my mom has dementia, so I've never fully been out to her just because she can't cognitively understand that process. But as a kid, there would be some non-gendered language around my brother and I that was really interesting. And I tell everyone, I don't know, maybe my mom knew, but if my brother played basketball, I played basketball. If when I took pottery classes, he took pottery classes. There was no art is for girls, sports are for boys. It was no children get to have well-rounded educations. And if we can afford to send you to do the extra things, you're both doing them. You're both learning. And then you'll learn what you like and what you don't like. And what you like and you don't like is okay. We learned wonderful you had that. And it's, again, there's like a financial privilege there for sure that I can own. And I'm so grateful that it was never, we go shopping together because we're girls, but your brother gets to play sports and do all of these other things because that's what boys do because... Was I great at basketball? Absolutely not. I concussed myself once running into the <laughs> basketball pole. However, little me loved basketball and soccer and tennis and swimming and also loved pottery and doing theater and was a nerd at Shakespeare camp. I learned <laughs> that I, I could do both and that both had nothing to do with my gender or my body, that my body could function as a tool for me to do those things rather than the way other people looked at it. Oh, that's so great. That's so great. And I also want to pick up on that going to your family for holidays, because this is November that this show is out. And that is really big for a lot of people of how do I show up if I even get to because we just went through the pandemic where people didn't even get to get together last year. But if we do, and we're all together, how can I show up as me, whatever that is, and not have to take care of others about that anymore? Because we're all so codependent about this issue. I know. It's this weird thing. It's like the minute you see your family, you become a completely different person. (laughs) I still struggle with, and my heart goes out to every person that does. I think that I've learned to just tell people like body talk is not acceptable. 
I think because of the work I do, I'm lucky enough that when I say that people generally listen now. So body talk's not acceptable. Food talk's not acceptable. Those are my boundaries if you want me here. And lucky for everybody, I cook dinner. So you have to like my boundaries now. (laughs) Oh, what a great thing. You took charge. My house, my rules. My partner and I cook together. We will go to whichever family member's house can't travel. That does not bother me. I will make all of the food, no problem. But you do not comment on my plate and you do not comment on my body. And that's all I ask. Everything else I can handle. Nothing ruins a good meal like someone commenting about your body while you're eating, whether you've had an eating disorder or not, but especially when you've had one or are working on recovery, because that's a really great way to push you into a space that no one wants to see any of us in. So I always try to encourage clients, decide whatever you want your boundaries are that you can hold. What are you able to hold for yourself? Maybe it is showing up and not enforcing your pronouns or dressing a way that's most comfortable. Maybe you do feel like you need to be performative when you're with those people. And if it's once a year and you need to be performative and you can manage it, I'm the first one to tell a client, I don't go Black Friday shopping. I will be available for you Friday morning (laughs) when it's over and you're not okay. And you're whispering to me through the phone from your mom's (laughs) guest room. I've done that many times for clients. It's not a deal because sometimes holidays, you just have to survive them. And I hate that's a thing. I've got my own hangups about Thanksgiving from like a sociocultural perspective. And that's like a whole nother. A whole other thing. Yeah. But holidays have become this social thing where we tell people you're only worth how many people are there or where you're welcome to. So that's hard enough without all of the other stuff. So you kind of have to do your best. Not really anyone can do your best. And if you can't know who your supports are, know who you can text and vent to, maybe there's a friend's house that you can join and you tell people that it's time limited. I always tell my friends, my house is the house that anyone is welcome to anytime, a colleague, anybody, if you don't have a place to go or you need a place to escape to, you go to your chosen family and you make your plans and maybe your plans are to be with your chosen family instead. And that's okay. I don't think there's any shame in being with your safe people just because they're not genetically related to you. That was one of the advantages of moving thousands of miles away from my family. (laughs) (laughs) If I had to go back for a holiday, then I was only there a few days. But at some point, I put down a boundary saying, holiday travel, I can't do it. I can come after or before, but I can't do the holiday travel anymore. And I, it's too expensive. It's too crazy. A lot of times I don't get back in time because there's a snowstorm or there's problems. And, and now with COVID, this is a really great thing to say anyways. There's too many people in the airport. And so I got to be with my chosen family a lot of the time, which was so refreshing because they did not peg me in a certain hole and I didn't have to be there. But when I came out as somebody with an eating disorder that was recovering and I said the same thing that you said, you know what, my food or my body is not up for discussion It was like I said, I'm a communist now, (laughs) and I'm going to give you a commie talk right now. I just said that thing, and it was very was very crazy for me to say that. They just didn't, well, I mean, I'm just saying how nice you look in that outfit. I'm just wondering if you've lost weight. It said, yeah, well, see, that is not going to be okay with me. But you don't want to hear how thin you are right now and how beautiful you look? No, I do not. Thank you. I'm almost like, are we that boring? Yeah. 
that that's what we're going to talk about. Right. There's something so uninteresting about all of us as a group of people that you want to talk about weight because I can think of literally six billion so many other things. more exciting things for all of us to talk about or debate about than whether or not your body has changed or your food. Yeah. And I can remember putting down a big boundary, the same kind of boundary with a really good girlfriend of mine for many years and saying, you know, I don't want to talk about weight anymore. I just am so bored with that. So for a while, we didn't know what to talk about. We just were two people sitting on a bench going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like we didn't, like if I'm not going to talk about how fat I am, or how fat she might get, or how thin I am, or how thin she is, or what did she eat that she's a bad girl for eating? What do we talk about? And it took a while. I have to say, it took a while. Well, it's like we're programmed that that's what we're supposed to talk about. So when you don't, you almost have to figure out what's the social norm of talking. And I'm like, we're supposed to talk about our feelings. We're supposed to share our successes. We're supposed to ask support for our grief and our losses. And if you do that, you can fill up an hour pretty quickly. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so the other thing I want to just ask you about is your choosing to, like your body reacted to a piece of clothing. So choosing to listen to that and how, how much we can trust our bodies to tell us what it can handle and what it can't or what it wants and what it doesn't want. Intuitive eating, but intuitive dressing. Just like intuitive being. Exactly. Right. Like when you try to, and I'm certainly not intuitive all of the time, but I found as I move through this process, it's so much easier to read my body and what my body wants and doesn't want. And therefore what I want and don't want and don't like can tolerate and can't. I think I needed a really intensely painful moment to be able to finally honor. That was something I had been able to cultivate in myself and I didn't need to ignore it. I can trust my intuition now in a way that I couldn't before. So it had to be But it's really cool to just be able to wake up and just make breakfast and make choices without doubting everything, whether it's the clothes I wear, the food I eat, who I'm going to text back, who I'm going to ignore, what work I'm going to take on today versus another day. It's almost like the teenage angst that we all secretly live with doesn't have to be so present anymore, which is wonderful. Sometimes, you know, we call it peeling the onion. There's many layers. And sometimes the layers come right off and just feel great. And sometimes, owie, that one hurt, that one. (laughs) So it sounds like that's what happened, is you got a painful layer that kind of fell off in the car (laughs) going to get coffee. (laughs) Yeah. And the most normal time of thing, and it just hits you. And talking about a teenager, so what If you were able to go back in time and talk to this teenage M about what's going to happen in your life and maybe give that person some, I don't know, some positive thoughts to be thinking as they go through their life until they get to you, till they get to your age and right now. I think I would tell them that they are going to have a lot of amazing and super painful adventures before they get here. They're going to gain and lose a lot of people in deeply painful and meaningful ways. And that ultimately, a lot of the things that they dreamed about that they thought they would never be able to do, they're going to have already done and they're not even going to be 35 yet. Wow. They have to hold on. And I am so grateful to that version of myself that I held on. Just so grateful. 
Like I am finally at the stage in my life where I can super admit my entire adolescence. If I had died, it would have been the greatest thing that had ever happened to me. That was really how I felt and believed. And now looking back on it, I'm like, oh, you waited. I'm so grateful that you waited. This is incredible. Is it easy? No. Is it painful? Yes. But it is truly incredible. And it is worth every second that was between then and now. And the world is so grateful that you didn't die. You're doing things that people, I don't know, didn't even know we needed for whatever reason. We didn't know that. We didn't know that. Agreed. And I'm also like super grateful to be in this place where I can meet you or like Walden, right? These people that like we all just align without any agenda for anything from each other, except that we know what the world needs and we know what is right and we know what our truth is and we know that they align. And so we're just going to do it. And it might be hard, but we're just going to do it. And I don't think that's something that you get to experience as a teenager. So you don't realize later on in life, you'll get that. And, you know, I was a teenager too. And I can think if somebody told me, well, at 35, it's going to be great. I would be like, yeah, you know what? (laughs) 35, (laughs) 35, (laughs) you know, I'm worrying about 15. (laughs) I don't even know what 35 would mean. That's old and decrepit and my life would be over by then. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, 15 year old me would have thought me now is super old. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, this is still young. This is not even halfway through life. I would think, wait, that would be so uncool to be 35, but totally cool, actually. Yes. So welcomed. Yeah. You have a little platform right now. Do you want to say anything about what you're doing and what you'd like to put out into the world? No. I mean, sure, right? That's manifesting, right? If I speak it, it will happen. So right now I'm on one hand, right, working on this IOP with Walden and all of the staff that are going to be working on it are queer and or BIPOC, which is amazing. It just feels like we're creating that intersectional space that the world needs to see. And, you know, my real hope is that other treatment centers and providers will see this and go, I want to do it too. I want to try and do it better. I want to compete with everybody. I want to race to see who can build the greatest, best, most long-term recovery process possible for people. Fabulous. And then on the other hand, I'm still with Project Heal. We're doing our treatment equity access work. And I think in that space too, I'm trying to see how many people can I turn on to the idea that everyone deserves recovery. And that if you've got the extra pennies to spare or time to volunteer, like this is the place and this is the time to do it because more people now have eating disorders than ever after this pandemic. The wait list with every therapist I know, every treatment facility I know is just miles long and we need each other. So now is the time for all of us to step up together because this doesn't happen just you and I. This happens with everyone that's listening going, you know, I I can donate $5 or I wonder how I can volunteer or what facility should I approach and ask what their intersectional approach to treatment is. Exactly. And what is it and why don't they have more than that? Yep. Because while I'm excited I get to do this, it in 2021, this should not be the most exciting thing happening. And this shouldn't be the first time it's happening. But it is, so I'm going to take it. And I'm super grateful to be a part of it and that my voice gets to be listened to in that way. And I really hope that is an example specifically to, you know, trans and gender nonconforming people in recovery that like our voice matters 
people are listening and look, people want to give us platforms. Maybe we just need to look in the right places. I always think my mom used to always say, I loved Beetlejuice growing up. It's why I have the strange and unusual tattooed on my chest. And my mom used to say, you know, why are you trying to fit in with all of the normal kids? Why don't you find your strange and unusuals? Why don't you find the weirdos? Why don't you find the kids that don't fit in? What's so exciting about being like everybody else? And I learned that the word normal is just another way for boring. (laughs) I'm not boring and I don't want to be boring and I don't want to be with boring people. So find the exciting people, find the magical people and, and do the thing. Yeah. I have a client who is in love with a person who she didn't expect to be in love with. She says, he's not normal. He's not, (laughs) he's not, he's kind, he's crazy. And I like, we're all crazy. Of course he's crazy, you know, and he's good for you. I know, but I don't know if he's really normal. And I'm like, I think that's really good. Abby normal. (laughs) Right? Like, and I'm always like, what does normal mean? It means that I fit in. It means that when I'm in a room, you don't hear my voice. You don't hear my truth. I don't want that anymore. Nope. We don't want that anymore. And (laughs) she doesn't want that anymore for herself. And it's like, well, then you have to let that person be themselves too. Oh, wait. You know, I was okay with it. It was just me. Anyway, I really, really am so appreciative that you are out in the world and that you didn't die and that you hung in there through all of these years to be where you are now and so exciting of where you're going to go. Thank you. I'm super excited to see. And it's so nice. My partner keeps reminding me. We're only in our 30s. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when we're in our 60s and 70s, how much we'll have done? And just the thought is so thrilling. Yeah, I just turned 70 and I'm like, I would like another 70 years, really. Somebody asked me for my birthday, what special thing do you want? What do you wish? And I said, more, (laughs) bring it. (laughs) I want more. Yeah. So would you read the last part of that truth card? Today, I will practice listening to my own internal wisdom. When I start to become fearful, confused, insecure, self-critical, or finding myself doing something I don't want to do, I will take a breath and ask myself, what is my truth? Such a really simple question for such a big answer. And again, I'm so pleased that you're on. Thank you very much. Thank you. Don't be surprised if I don't hit you up again. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime. This is always so wonderful. Okay. Thank you very much. And we're signing off now. Thank you for listening. And be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's not about food.com. Thanks.